Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and I'm the chair of the JOMA Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here tonight with Dr. Jonathan Howard, who is very gracious to come back. We did the first podcast together on how to fool yourself less, um, medical decision-making for regular people. Dr. Howard is a neurologist and psychiatrist at NYU and Bellevue Hospital. He's the director of neurology at Bellevue and the coordinator of the neurology clerkship. He received his medical degree from the University of Southern California and completed his residency in neurology and psychiatry, as well as a fellowship in multiple sclerosis at NYU. He's also the author of the 2019 book, Cognitive Errors and Diagnostic Mistakes, A Case-Based Guide on Critical Thinking in Medicine. I want to thank you so, so much, Dr. Howard, for joining me again tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So when we talked back, you know, we started our talk um, actually end of January and finished it, you know, early February. I'm looking back now. It feels like a million lifetimes ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to, to think, you know, yeah, we feel we've gone a dozen lifetimes in, in, in six months. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, I, I feel like we should have known, like, you know, looking back, I didn't even realize that the New York, that New York case in New Rochelle, that was really like the first New York case that we were hearing a lot about. And that, you know, was sort of a super spreader event. That was March. Yeah, it's, it, we, we should have known. I mean, the warning signs were there if we had paid attention to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we in the United States have this sort of feeling that we are separated by an ocean and, you know, bad, crazy things happen in faraway places are a long time ago. Uh, unfortunately, they, they don't. They happen to us today. Right. And I think also we, we had a lot of wishful thinking, right? I mean, I know that when we did our talk, we specifically didn't talk about COVID. And I'm really glad we didn't because the messaging at the time was make sure you get your flu shot. You know, we should be more afraid of the flu because we know that the flu can be dangerous and, and it can, and it can, but we had no idea. Yeah, no, I'm glad we didn't talk about it either because I probably would have said something along the lines of, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. So uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not recorded uh, anywhere saying anything like that. Although in my defense, I was, I was pretty worried about this in February. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching scenes of people in China mm-hmm. uh, in, in lockdown and sort of, commenting to my parents, hey, you know, this could be us. And um, I sort of knew it on an intellectual level that it could come here and we could suffer a similar fate. But I didn't really believe it. I mean, um, there was was a lot of denial uh, going on. That's for sure. Right. And so I do want to talk about like the way we fool ourselves with our thinking. And some of that is we're talking about how we did it ourselves. And one thing I just want to say is that I think we need to be kind. I'm grateful that I'm not a politician. I'm grateful that I'm not a public health official. 
Oh yeah, no, I mean, it, it's some of, you know, our politicians, um, you know, are, are, I think, I think most of them, uh, uh, you know, really want to do the best and they have to, to, you know, balance these very, very difficult things, uh, you know, our rights, uh, our, our health, our economy. And, you know, if they go too far in one direction, half of the country is mad at them. If they go too far in the other direction, the other half of the country is mad at them. Um, you know, there have been some extremely unfortunate incidents, uh, not in New York, I think, but in other parts of the world or country uh, where, where, public health authorities have been stalked and have gotten death threats and have quit their jobs. Um, so I really feel for them. It's a, there's some very unfortunate things that are happening. Right. It, it, it's really difficult because it's, it's novel. We, it's new and they're used to working with data, but we didn't have data. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly right. I mean, six months into this, uh, I, I could come up with a really long list of things that we don't know about this virus. Um, I could come up with a really long list of things that we've learned about the virus, but there's still so much we don't know. And right. it, it, it's hard to make uh, decisions when you have perfect information. And it's impossible, not impossible, but it's harder when you have very limited and unknown information. Right, right. So I want to talk a little bit about, actually a lot, about the concept of what I called in the last talk, thinking traps. You can call them cognitive biases. You can call them heuristics. But talk a little bit about the ways we fool ourselves. Yeah, so cognitive biases and heuristics, they're sort of mental shortcuts that we can make. You know, we have to make uh, most of the decisions and that we make in our daily lives on based on incomplete information. Um, and we can't sit and kind of, logic and reason out every single decision we have to make. Um, so we use these mental shortcuts. And for the most part, they work really well, uh, or else they wouldn't have survived over the you know, generations. So the word bias has a little bit of a, con a bad connotation. Um, if I was to say, you know, oh, let's say you're biased, I, I probably wouldn't be paying you a compliment. But that's really not how at least I, and I think most psychologists use the words, it's just sort of our, our, our mental shortcuts that, that, that usually lead us in the right direction, but not always. Mm -hmm. And the other issue is that we are more likely to use those shortcuts in a bad way, in an inaccurate way, when we have a situation of uncertainty or when we're more emotional or fearful, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think emotion times of heightened emotion mm -hmm. uh you know you don't make your best decision uh in times of panic you know for example um but you know i you know maybe sometimes you do actually in that it, it's better to be sometimes overly afraid of something uh like a virus than than underly afraid because if you're uh underly afraid of it you could catch it and it could kill you. So you can make, you know, you can be wrong once there. Uh, whereas if you're overly afraid of it and you're a little too precautious, you know, fine, you washed your hands a little bit more than right. you, the state. You washed are. all your groceries off many times. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and maybe looking back, that'll sort of seem foolish, but not as foolish as someone who went to a very crowded bar or restaurant mm -hmm. or, or, or prayer service. 
and, and contracted the disease and passed away, as has ha happened, uh, unfortunately, many times. Right. And what I don't understand is, you know, because in New York, sadly, we, we were hit so, so hard. What I don't understand is it seems people are saying it's over and they're back to their normal here. And yes, thankfully, the numbers until recently were, were really dropping. They're unfortunately starting to spike up again. Unfortunately, not huge numbers, but they're starting to come back up. And I actually, I'd like to hear what you think about why people are saying this. When, and the rest of the country, clearly it's not gone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, um, fortunately, I, I don't think I've observed that for the most part. I think people are doing pretty well, at least what, what I observe. I mean, I only mm. really know my neighborhood. I kind of leave a boring life. I don't leave my, leave my three block radius for the most part. I go to the hospital and home and back and that's, that's about it. But yeah, at least what I've observed, people are being responsible for the most part. I mean, wearing masks in the hospital. The few times I've gone to the grocery store, they're wearing masks. You know, certainly all, all the restaurants and, and, and bars in my neighborhood uh, are closed. Not that I went to those too much to begin with. So mm. um, I, at least what I've observed, people are taking it seriously, but it's a big city and, mm. and, and, and there's, a, there, there's a lot of variety. And I think one of the reasons is just that people really want it to be over. And I think mm. we just have to acknowledge um, how hard it's been for right. a lot of people. Wearing masks is mm -hmm. not natural. They're a little bit uncomfortable, but you know we're used to showing our faces and uh, smiling at people and having them smile back. So much of our communication, uh, you, we've come to realize, is done with subtle um, verbal cues. You know, we're used to going to weddings and and, and celebrations and, and, and funerals. I mean, these are supposed to be communal events where we get together and we're around each other. And now we're asking people to, to be isolated. And it, it's, it's the, to, to maybe not see your parents except from, you know, six feet away or, or through a glass partition. It, it's, it's very painful and it's very unnatural. And we don't know when it's going to end. So I think there's a lot of, I hope it's going to end. I hope it's over. And, you know, the immediate threat has certainly passed here. Uh, you know, I think we're over the worst and I'm, I'm optimistic mm -hmm. uh, for reasons I can get into or not that we're not going to have as, as big of a second wave uh, as, as, as the first wave. But there's no guarantee of that. Right. Right. But there are communities where they are doing these things. You know, they are having, you know, bigger celebrations. They are not distancing. They are not wearing masks. Um, and I think, you know, to some extent, we're not seeing spikes as much, right? Um, to some extent, some of these communities have had a lot of coronavirus, right? A large percentage of the community had it already. Um, mm -hmm. but, but there's so much we don't know. We don't know if you can get it again. Um, there are certainly plenty of people, including very vulnerable people in the community who haven't had it yet. Yeah. So it is a concern. And I think one of the reasons, like you said, you explained why it's so hard and, and, and it really is and it's summer and it's hot and it's gone on forever and we're all just sick and tired of it. Um, I hope it's sick and tired of us. That, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it's also a factor of we're so used to making decisions based on what we see right in front of us. Sure. And that explains why we watched what happened in Italy, but it was like watching a, a movie about some historical event. Right. Almost. It wasn't us. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't us. And um, you know, some, some, you know, while Italy was going through it, while they were experiencing, 
you know, horror movie type uh, events, you know, politicians here were saying, go to movies, get together, you know, rather than thinking to themselves, holy smokes, is this us? Might it be us? What if it is us? How can we prepare? Um, you know, we'll hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. So a lot of just wishful thinking uh, mm-hmm. and denial that was, that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a natural thing. No one wants to contemplate this horrible, invisible virus that might be spreading uh, in the community, you know, without us noticing. So I, I, it's a natural response, um, but it can be a dangerous one. Right. And it's like you said before, you can, you really, it's hard to be too careful, but it's definitely easy to not be careful enough. And it was also disturbing to me to think in retrospect, well, we were planning that talk and really weren't really had no idea what we were getting into. It was spreading invisibly. Yeah. And that was, was the problem is it can take weeks of spreading invisibly. Um, and we are definitely doing more testing now, which is good. Um, but I can't say that we're doing so much testing that we would know necessarily if it was building up again. Yeah, it, you know, Governor Cuomo today said that our testing sites are being underused. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important, certainly if anyone has any symptoms, to get tested. Right, but um, we know already that you can be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. Yeah. So that's the problem. And it looks like this current um, surges that we're having in many other parts of the country. And like, again, we're in our own little bubble in New York here. We're thinking, hey, we're good. Right, we're done. We stay in (laughs) our bubble, by the way. Um, uh, Yeah, no, but I think I think everyone should get tested periodically. The the test is uh, it's 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 unpleasant. Not going to lie about that, but it's short. Uh, It takes about five ten seconds, uh, which seems like an eternity while you're getting the test. But it it it, it's 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 on the scale from one to ten. It's it's a it's a three in terms of how unpleasant it is. And you know, mm-hmm. the, the stakes are, are, are high uh, in that, yeah, if, if you test, you know, if you are an asymptomatic carrier, um, you, know, you, you could spread it to people who you care about. Um, so, so I encourage people to get tested periodically. And it, you know, we're, we're in a lucky position compared to other states where people are waiting 10 hours and being told, you know, we're out of tests for today. Right, which is where we were when it was surging. Oh, yeah, no. Right, we did not have enough testing was one of our problems. Yeah, absolutely. And our governor now is begging us to get tested, saying the testing sites are being underused. Right, but it's not even just about testing. It's also about contact tracing and quarantining. And all of those pieces have to be in place. And yeah. we have to understand that there's so much limits to the testing. There's limits to the the rapid testing, the um, testing the PCR testing, whether you have it right now, it limits to the antibody testing, whether you had it already. You know, we're learning more things every day that the the PCR test of whether you have it now can remain positive and you may not be infectious anymore. It may not even be that you are a, what you say, carrier. You may just have um, genetic pieces, you know, still in you and you test positive, but you're not infectious. You're not sick and you can't transmit it. And you can have had it and potentially be immune to it and you can lose that antibody response. Yeah. So the testing is limited. The testing piece of it is limited. Yeah, but it, but it's but it's much better than nothing. I mean, right. There's no medical test that that's perfect, and um, you know, I, I don't know if this is you know the discussion you want to have. There, you can have false positives and false mm-hmm. negatives. Um, right. You know, and and you're, you're right about the antibodies fading, but that can sound scary to a lot of people. Oh, I, you get infected twice, and you know, maybe maybe you can, but. Uh, 
so far, I, I think there's pretty good evidence that, that if you've had this disease once, you're going to have immunity for the foreseeable future, maybe not for the next five, 10 years, but you know, I don't, I don't think that, that you're at risk of getting reinfected a, a couple months later. And antibodies are important for immunity, but they're not the only type of immunity. Um, so so I, 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 I'm, maybe it's just my sort of general optimism about things. Mm-hmm. That I, or wishful I, thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But um, I, I think, I mean, there, there, there's, I, I don't know of any virus for which there is zero immunity. And, mm-hmm. You know, if people get a second infection, it's often milder. So mm-hmm. I'm optimistic about that. It could be. I mean, I think it depends on how vulnerable you are, how high risk you are, whether you have underlying conditions. If you're older, um, I think it'd be better to err on the side of caution. Yeah, no, you, you don't do. want to you want to experiment. You don't want to find out yeah. if you get it twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I think it keeps boiling down to the same thing, which is social distancing with people outside your pod or bubble as the term is used, you know, being careful, not acting like it's over. You know, of course the hand washing is always so important. Um, and the masks. And I really want to talk about the masks because that our country is on fire about these masks. Like why? Yeah. Unfortunately it's become a very political issue, which, and we're the only country I, I think where that, where that's the case. Um, where wearing a mask, you can kind of, predict someone's political leanings based on whether they do or, or, or do not wear a mask. Um, you know, fortunately, I think that's changing in that a lot of politicians who a couple months ago or weeks ago even were not, you know, were, were not saying to wear masks are now very much saying to wear masks. And when one thinks about it, you know, I, I struggle to think other than maybe vaccines themselves, and we can talk about that too, uh, with regard to COVID, but, you know, are there any medical interventions that are as safe, mm-hmm. as cheap as masks? I mean, maybe seatbelts, but I mean, generally in medicine, everything we do costs money. Masks, you know, cost two bucks and everything we do has some side effects. Uh, you know, what are the side effects of masks? Well, they're a little bit irritating by behind my ear by the end of the day. And I spoke about two and I shouldn't minimize this. The you know, unnaturalness of not mm-hmm. being able to smile. So it's hot. Yeah, yeah. So there are some side effects to masks, but but the potential benefit of of cutting the spread of this virus in half is is just enormous and really unparalleled in in medicine. If this was a pill and and people were to take it, it would be a blockbuster. It would be a miracle medication, you know, cut your risk of spreading this virus to your loved ones by 50% by taking, you know, X, Y, and Z medication. It would be, it would be hailed as the greatest discovery in the history of drugs. (laughs) So uh, especially if it costs like a mask, you know, $2 or something like that. And it lasted, uh, you know, however long masks last, I mean, months, it would be, it would be uh, a really amazing Right. I mean, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have a medication yet um, that we know works and is, you know, safe. Um, But we do have this. And like you said, 50%, I I don't know the exact numbers, um, but it's substantial and it's what we have. Yeah. And and when you talk about a virus that can spread exponentially, and what we mean Mm -hmm. by that is, you know, one person gives it to two people who gives it to four, who give it to eight, 16, 32, 64. If you can cut that 
even by a little bit, you've made a, an enormous dent in, in how far this can spread. So, uh, you know, anything, something that seems even mildly effective can have over the, for the population of New York City, uh, a truly major impact. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have so far been spared a second wave. I, I think mm-hmm. mass social distancing, um, uh, you know, really work. And I, I think it's also important too to stress that I think we've learned a lot of activities that seem safe and it's important to let people know what those are. Um, you know, not perfectly safe. Uh, there's nothing as safe as I suppose sitting at home alone on your couch, but who wants to live life? No, it's not healthy. No, it isn't. (laughs) No, no, no. But I mean, I think, you know, being outside and walking past someone, your chances of getting it are extraordinarily low. Uh, you know, walking around the block, getting exercise, you know, seeing friends and family outside, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sitting, you know, Definitely, you know, close enough so you can hear them, but, um, you, you know, not right next to them, um, I, I think is, is not perfectly safe, but, but the, the number of cases that have been, docu- have been documented to have spread outside, um, very, very low. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, you know, hopefully have, you know, six, seven months before it gets too cold to go outside. So, you know, take advantage of that time. Right, right. And we, uh, in my block, we have a block minion and uh, it's outside. It's outside. Um, People wearing masks, they're social distancing and it's outside. And those three things together make it quite low risk. Um, So that's really, really good. But I think that this is hitting upon a bunch of things. I think that one thing that makes it hard is when we're saying it's mandatory and that overlaps a lot with vaccines. Mm -hmm. People do not want to be told what to do. Yeah, I, I think there's a sort of rebellious streak in, in America, which mm-hmm. often serves us very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons, you know, we put a man on the moon and invented the internet and, you know, we're sort of, our country's kind of pushing the boundaries and, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I, I, I think there's a certain segment of the population who is sort of oppositional for the sake of being oppositional. Mm. And if you were to tell them, masks are forbidden, they would demand them. And these are the same people now who are refusing to wear masks just because they don't want to be seen as sort of compliant. They want to be seen as, as, as individuals, as you can't tell me what to do. And um, I get it, but it also seems a little bit childish right. in some ways. I mean, um, you know, kind of like a toddler refusing to, 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 to clean up. Um, and, you know, listen, I, I love America. I love my people. I love my country. And I think our individualistic spirit, as I said, mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that we've done these amazing things. But a, a, a pandemic is a, a unique kind of incomparable uh, situation where we really need to come together as a community because generally speaking, what I wear uh, doesn't affect you. If I wear a hat, if I wear, you know, blue jeans, you know, you walk by, me on the, you know, as long as I'm wearing something, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't affect you and vice versa. What you wear doesn't affect me. Um, but with the, with the pandemic, these unprecedented times, this once in a hundred years type event, 
you wearing a mask protects me and me wearing a mask protects you. So it, it really is a time to come together as a community. And we've seen cultures where mask wearing has been normal. It's been mm-hmm. wearing normal for, for many years in, in Asian countries because right. they're used to dealing with these outbreaks. Um, they were really able to put the brakes on, on things. And so I, I see people who are very upset about the shutdown and the lockdown, and I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm upset about it too. And right. I'm, as a doctor, relatively per- protected. Um, you know, I don't own a restaurant. I don't own mm-hmm. a, a barber shop. And, you know, but, but these people, some of them at least, have behaved in ways that have unfortunately prolonged the lockdown. Like Miami, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they opened up too soon and now they're shutting back down. And it's just, in Texas, it's just really devastating people's economies, their finances. And, you know, sometimes I think people like myself who are sort of privileged can sort of, you know, say things like their income as if it's kind of like mild inconvenience. And holy smokes, millions of Americans are wondering how there is feed their families and pay their rent. It it, it is tragic beyond belief. And it's ultra made even more tragic by the fact that had mask wearing been as normal as wearing pants and shoes a month ago, we wouldn't be in this situation today. It just breaks my heart. Right. And it's unfortunate that, you know, there was confusion in the messaging about, you know, whether it worked or not in the beginning. I think we have to move move beyond that. You know, we know at this point that it does work. Um, we do have access to a wide range of, of community masks. You don't have to walk on the street wearing an N95 mask. Correct. Um, it was very frustrating for me to see people walking on the streets wearing these N95 when I, as a physician, couldn't get one, or my son was working with COVID patients, new doctor, couldn't get one. Um, and that was one of the reasons why that messaging was the way it was. Um, we had a shortage, and the shortage included for the healthcare providers who were taking care of these patients. You know, you don't need a fancy mask. I mean, even, right. even just, uh, you know, some some cloth over your face, if you cough, prevents those droplets from spreading, you know, I, I'm making this up by 50%. And as I said before, even the small dent, uh, you know, creates, creates big, big outcomes um, in the future. And, you know, I'm optimistic that, that this will, I mean, this, this will end. You know, I think that's a very, very important point to get mm-hmm. across. Um, I, none of us know when. None of us know how, but, you know, this will end and life will, you know, coronavirus might be here in some form for, for, you know, kind of like chicken pox or measles Mm -hmm. or the flu, Uh, but, but we will get our lives back eventually. And, you know, we can all take steps now to make that as soon as possible. Right. And we're hoping also to get a vaccine. You know, there's a lot of talk about it coming out really, really soon, like a year or 18 months. Um, there's also a lot of talk, um, some of which are actually conspiracy theories on the vaccine. So I just want to touch a little bit on what a conspiracy theory is and maybe how, how people could recognize it, because um, it would be really sad if we're trying to get a good vaccine out and a significant percentage of the people um, are afraid of it. Yeah, absolutely. Afraid to the point of not getting. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to run and be the first person online to get a new vaccine, right? It will be new. Yeah, well, I mean, any vaccine 
will have been studied. Mm -hmm. And the question is, for how long and in how many people? So the average vaccine takes a decade to study. Um, I'm hoping that we will have a vaccine before the year 2030. Um, the, the fastest vaccine that was ever developed was the mumps vaccine. And that took four years, mm -hmm. um, in the 1960s. Uh, so I'm also hoping we're going to have a vaccine before the year 2024. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this vaccine will be relatively untested, but that doesn't mean completely untested. So the vaccine trials that have been done so far have been relatively small. They've been on, you know, a couple hundred people. That's how vaccine studies or any study of any medication typically smart starts in just relatively small groups of people just to make sure that it's safe and that it seems to work. Mm -hmm. But the big studies, they go in phases, one, two, and three. And, but the big phase three studies are attempting to enroll 10 or 30,000 people to make sure that the vaccine works and that the vaccine is safe. But you're right that, you know, the vaccine won't have been studied for decades before it becomes available to the general public. Fortunately, we have so many vaccines that we know about already that people are going to say, what are the long-term side effects? Oh, we don't know the long-term side effects. And I would say, um, generally, vaccines don't have long-term side effects. Uh, they can have some short-term side effects. And of course, what are the long-term side effects of COVID? Uh, that's you know, we, we don't know what those are either, but they don't seem to be benign. And of course, it, it, it has killed 20,000 people in, in our city and 130,000 people in the country and half a million people uh, around the world. So it's, it's always a question of risk versus benefit. Exactly. What are you more afraid of? Um, the, the medication or the disease, but the anti-vaccine movement is already definitely gearing up to, mm -hmm. to, to oppose this vaccine. And I think that makes a very important point that everything I say about this vaccine will be as best as I can based on the research that's mm -hmm. done. So, you know, if you ask me my opinion about the vaccine today, I will say I'm hopeful, but it's too early to say. We just don't mm -hmm. have the data. The studies haven't been done. That the anti-vaccine movement already opposes this vaccine shows that data and science are irrelevant to them. Mm -hmm. Their opposition is a philosophical one, the same way, you know, I am opposed to Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I suppose you know, there, there's no research or studies. There's no words you could say where at the end of the day, I will say, you know what? Brussels sprouts actually do taste good. Um, and, and, and their opposition to vaccines is, is similar to that. I can also promise you the following. Once this vaccine is approved and tens of millions of people have taken it, the internet will be flooded with stories of, you know, emotionally, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, heartbreaking stories. You know, my daughter was a healthy 17-year-old girl who got the vaccine within three days, you know, could no longer see, could no longer walk. Um, the, the internet's just going to be flooded with those stories because that happens after every vaccine is approved. And, 
you know, some of them have found, have, have been determined to be complete fiction. I've actually mm-hmm. had the opportunity to speak to some parents who, um, whose children were sort of misused by the anti-vaccine movement, but, mm-hmm. but not, 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 not all of them are. But mm-hmm. I think it's important to realize that if I, let's say I gave 100 million Americans an M&M, uh, you know, piece of candy, and waited a week, some tragic things would happen to those people. You know, someone would have a heart attack. Someone would have a stroke. You know, you name it. Even if a young person, a you know, young seven, healthy seventeen-year-old, you know, something bad would happen to some of them. And the vaccine is is going to be blamed. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have to be keep. You know, we as scientists and, and doctors have to keep an open mind that okay, may, maybe it is the vaccine. Uh, you know, you don't want to rule that out. And that, that's why, you know, I hope we'll, we'll collect data and we'll continue to learn about the, the eventual vaccine. Um, but, but we have to try to, and this is where our biases come in, we have to try to let ourselves be governed by, especially when it comes to vaccines, the, the science and, and the data. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's really boring compared to some of the internet stories i could right. you know show someone a you know study oh you know in this study you know 10,000 people got the vaccine 10 people got placebo or 10,000 people got placebo and you know in each group there were five cases of cancer so the vaccine probably doesn't cause cancer um but that's not nearly as emotional as as a, a internet sob story where there's a crying parent and pictures of a suffering child that 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 is is just a much more emotionally uh relevant to us than, than raw numbers and raw science. Right. And, and in fairness, sometimes a vaccine can cause a problem. That M&M example, if the person had an allergy to peanuts and M&Ms are made on peanuts, they could have an allergic reaction and it would have been from the M&M, right? So sometimes it is. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that's exactly but, what you said. We but, have to open mind. Right. But people don't want, they, they need a reason right? It's so hard. And I think that's also what's happening with COVID is we have such huge gaps in our knowledge and we don't like that. We don't like not knowing. Yeah. It's, right? it's, so it's really hard. It really makes us un- uncertain and uncomfortable. And I just want to come back a little bit to the masks because we talked about not wanting to wear masks, not wanting to be told what to do when it's hot and it's uncomfortable and it's weird. But I read um, that at times of uncertainty, we look around us and if you are trying to deny it and you're looking around and you're seeing masks and you're trying to say, hey, it's over, that's upsetting. And that might explain, and the opposite would be when you are trying to have a sense of control over a scary time by wearing your mask and you look around and you see people not wearing masks, you'll also be upset. So maybe that is a, more of an explanation of why there's so much emotion yeah. no, in I'm our not. country around the masks. Right. You know, it's it's very local. I mean, again, I think the the, the Northeast um, has done an extraordinary job of sort of pulling together, uh, kind of as a as a community, uh, to, you know, to really tackle this. And in in parts of the country um, where, you know, Italy seemed far away to us, mm-hmm. um, and you know, to to Phoenix, Arizona, and Miami, New York seemed far away. Um, it, it just really shows, unfortunately, that it seems, you know, every city has to kind of experience, at least in America, uh, you know, some, some, some horror uh, b- before they will hopefully learn their lesson. 
And, uh, you know, if, uh, unfortunately, America uh, seems to have had the hardest time of mm -hmm. any country with this disease. And this might be a bigger topic than this discussion about right. what that is. Um, but really, no other, you know, we've had America's 4% of the world's population, and we have had 25. 25%, yeah, a quarter of that. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's horrible. Not that I wish suffering on India and Mexico and Pakistan, right. um, but these, you know, the richest, the most powerful country in the world and other, you know, European countries are, are looking at it, not just European countries. I think every country is looking at us with a mixture of sort of horror and pity. I, I read one uh, European scientist say, you know, we modeled our response based on what we, you know, research done on America, research done in American universities. I mean, we think that we have the best scientists and, and, and the best universities and the most knowledge, and maybe we do, but we're utterly unable to apply that. And again, that, that, why that is, I, I don't know, have, have all the answers, and it's probably a bigger topic than, 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 than the, the, this podcast, but it's, 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 it's a real tragedy. It's a real tragedy, and, and I think also we didn't get into the lack of trust and, and why there's a lack of trust in our political and health leaders, um, but I will say that it's opened up a large large room for conspiracy thinking and misinformation and disinformation, which is intentional misinformation, right? Um, and I think that that's, that's really sad and scary because I think it's actually empowering for us all to know that we each can help flatten the curve. We, we did it, right, with our efforts with the masking and the social distancing and the hand washing. We can also, by the way, flatten the, the it's not just an epidemic, it's also an infodemic. We can also flatten the infodemic curve by being more careful with what we read and, and thinking through it more, more clearly. I just want to mention, um, we didn't get into it, and I, I don't have time to go into it, um, but if anybody's interested who's listening to this, there is a good set of, um, of YouTube videos and information from uh, Dr. John Cook, and he has a series called How to Spot COVID-19 Conspiracy Theories, and he actually has a cute acronym, CONSPIRE, C-O-N-S-P-I-R, and he actually goes through each of the, of the traits of a conspiracy theory, that they have multiple contradictory threads, um, that it starts out with an O for overriding suspicion, there is a nefarious or negative intent. Um, something must be wrong. That's the letter S. There's a persecuted victim. And as you mentioned before, it's immune to evidence. You cannot undermine a conspiracy theory. There will always be a conspiracy theory about that. Um, and reinterpreting randomness. Like you said, you know, you had an M&M and something happened after and therefore it was the M&M. Um, so that's something that people want more information. They can um, look into Dr. John Cook. But we, we can be empowered. We can do this. We can flatten that, continue to flatten the curve by continuing to social distance to the best of our abilities, continue to wear masks, wash our hands, be careful, be alert, right? We don't have to be neurotic, right? We can still get outside and go around and be with our families. And, you know, we can choose to expand those groups with carefully. Um, but we shouldn't act like nothing's going on because we still, unfortunately, are, as a country, in the middle of this and our borders between our states, you know, are, are pretty porous. Um, but I want to thank you so, so much. I really appreciate all the time and all the information you gave us today. I really, really do. Well, great. You know, listen, you know, I hope that, that we, next time we connect, 
you know, we'll be, our conversation will be, you know, along the lines of, boy, we made it through it. It's over. uh, It really will be over then. It has to be over. Yeah, right. As I said, you know, it will end, but I don't, there's not going to be sort of a a, a moment. A hard stop. There's not a hard stop here. Oh, it's it's, it's going to be you know, kind of what we've experienced, a gradual decline and, and hopefully one that will continue and hopefully, you know, the rest of the United States will, will see our success and be able to, to emulate it. And, uh, you know, that, that a vaccine will be available sometime. I'm, I'm actually more optimistic than you are that it's going to be available, uh, you know, around New Year's, but um, that, that, that would, that's by far the most optimistic timeline. But, uh, it could be just wishful thinking on my part, but it's well. Well, I'm planning on doing talk with an infectious disease doctor about some trials, so that will be one of our next topics. Great, I look forward to, to listening. Thanks Thank so much. You. For Thank you. Thank you so much. End meeting. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.